Four or five weeks ago, last time I ministered, I ministered on the subject of sovereignty of God. I ministered uh, the week before that also on the same subject. I'd like to continue on that theme. Without understanding the sovereignty of God, clearly, the Bible becomes a babble of confusion to us. We read something, even a promise like we get from the Bible. Many people are very strong on the promises of God, which I also am. But I don't want to just be strong on the promises of God. I want to see the promises of God fulfilled in my life. So when God says, this is what I want to do in your life, then I want to see that done in my life. I want to see it fulfilled. And the problem is with many Christians, these promises are all here, but you've heard me say many times, when a Christian has been saved about 20 years, most of them become very cynical Christians. Now, cynical in the sense, I mean, oh, yes, I've heard it all, I've done it all. You know, yes, you tell me to pray. Well, I prayed and it didn't work. And yes, I read the Bible and it doesn't work. And yes, I've gone to church and, it, but I, and the promises, I've claimed them and blamed them and so forth, named them, and, and then they didn't work. And, uh, and it's just like that. So they're all kind of like, mm, and they're sitting there waiting for the next 20 years so they can die and go to heaven, which they think something could be better up there. But that was never God's plan. God's plan is for you to see in this earth the fulfillment of God's promises. Now, the way that takes place is understanding fundamentally. See, that's the basic thing that has to be. This fundamental truth and bringing yourself in the line with it. And that is the assertion that God is sovereign. The Bible says all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him is life, and that life is the light of men. The Bible pictures it like this. In the beginning, God. Now, that's the first statement in the Bible. In the beginning, God. Now, the reason it says that is because there was nothing else. There were no angels. There were no cherubim. There were no seraphim. There were no planets. There was no sun, moon, and stars. There was simply nothing. If God existed and filled the entire void, whatever it was. Then God determined to bring forth a plan. And that plan would ultimately include you and I, would include man, woman, all the things that we see today, but not as we see it today. See, that has been an aberration, a distortion of what God is aiming at, and all of God's doing to bring man into being, and then ultimately to bring Christ down to this earth, and then to bring man to this ultimate destination of his, is to create a family. Not just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, but to create a family in a proper relationship that will exist throughout all eternity, wherein God would be able to pour all of the blessings, all of the love, all of the good things that he desires to be fulfilled in his creation, to bring that man into relationship with himself so that he being just a little lower than God, still sustained by God, but right up there with God, would be able to participate in those blessings throughout all eternity. But now, what we're here on this earth as pilgrims and as sojourners and as tenants, the Bible makes that very clear, we are in this learning relationship with God to bring ourselves into this sovereign relationship where God is sovereign and we are his subjects. We are his servants. We are his children. We are obedient to him. We are carrying out his will on this earth with delight in our hearts because we recognize who and what God is. Now, in the beginning... This is exactly the condition of the earth. God created man in his image and after his likeness so that man was able to think like God thinks. Man was able to feel like God feels. Man was able to act 
like God acts, not on the same level of an infinite scale, but still to be a creative individual, creative person, and to carry out God's perfect will on this earth. He had a set of values that was exactly like God's set of values. So what God valued, man valued. What God did not count important, man did not count important. Now, as long as the world was like that, and that was God's original plan, and had the world continue that way. Let's say Adam had not sinned, and his offspring had not sinned. But they had constantly walked in God's ways as they had every opportunity to do, because their sin was not pulling on them. If they had continued, then here is what the condition of the world would be. There would be no overpopulation. People would have multiplied and would have filled the earth according to God's divine plan, because he asserts the truth, I open the womb, I close the womb. But what has happened in this world today is we see overpopulation in some areas, like China is terribly overpopulated, places like Africa, certain parts of it are terribly overpopulated, some other parts of it are underpopulated. There would be no famine as we know it today, where whole weather conditions would change in a dramatic way for year after year, and then food would not grow, and the next thing, thousands upon thousands, sometimes even millions of people have perished under long-term famines. There would be nothing like that in this world today. There would be no sickness as we know it. There would have been no death. Adam's children would not have died. He would not have died. See, God intended a totally harmonious world in which he being sovereign, nothing could intrude upon that. And as long as people maintain that relationship to him, nothing could have intruded upon that idyllic situation. Now, that was God's plan. That's what he brought. That's what he made available. Now, God knew sin would come into the world. Therefore, the Bible says, Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And all prophecies speak of the coming one, that God had understood this. But I'm saying he created a set of free moral agents who had the full power to follow after God, allow him to be sovereign in their lives, follow his commandments, walk in his ways, listen to his teachings, and do his will upon this earth. And then that earth would have never been distorted like we see the world today, filled with poverty, filled with sickness, filled with crime. All of these are distortions from God's original plan. Now, it's an interesting thing that the Bible names the first man Adam, means from the earth, or red earth, means from the earth. But it calls Jesus the second man Adam. Now, what Adam threw away because he rejected the sovereignty of God and allowed all of these distortions to come into the world. And by the way, all men, from the beginning of time since that sin until now, and as long as this earth continues as it presently is, the Bible says all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, what is sinning? Sinning is simply rejecting the sovereignty of God and placing my own will, my own desires, my own set of values above God's set of values and saying, I do not care what God says, this is what is right for me and this is what I'm going to do. In other words, I become sovereign of my own life and I reject the sovereignty of God. Whereas on the other hand, God asserts very strongly that he has sovereignty or rule over every aspect of our lives. That is our body. He makes it very clear. Glorify God in your body and your spirit which are what? God's. See, my body, now notice this, not just in some ephemeral way, God is saying, I made your body. Psalm 137, Psalm 139, I made your body, even the parts that your mother and your father participated in, the eating and so forth, the coming together, I made you, I brought you forth, here you are, you are here for my purposes. 
Now, the only man since Adam that understood that and carried it out fully was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And what it says of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second man, Adam, says, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will, O God. Now, see, he fully understood the sovereign place of God. We say, well, isn't Jesus equal to God the Father? Not from what I can see scripturally. Now, see, this has to be fully understood. Jesus is fully God. Jesus was never created. Jesus has always existed. He is the eternal, only begotten Son of God, but he too is under authority to God the Father. They are not equal in that sense. Jesus is here to carry out the will of the Father. Jesus in heaven is carrying out the will of the Father. And the Bible says he must rule. Jesus now must rule till all of his enemies are put under his feet. In other words, all things contrary to God's purpose are put under the feet of Jesus and done away with. Then the Bible says, then cometh the end, when Jesus himself will surrender the kingdom to God the Father, that God, God the Father, may be all in all. In other words, God ever supreme, ever sovereign, ever the ruler, even the Son, the Holy Spirit, submit themselves completely and totally to him. That's always been that way. See, that's why in the New Testament it says, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. When Jesus was facing the cross, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. See, he fully understood his place in the scheme of things. Now, when we do not understand that sovereignty of God, that concept of the sovereignty of God, we come under this Adamic curse. In some measure, it is working in our lives to the extent that we do not understand the sovereign position that God takes. Our set of values, our set of morals, everything that we do that has relationship to God must flow from him and be submitted to him and under his sovereign reign and rule. Now, that was the way I say it was in the beginning. Then in comes this intruder who already had rejected the sovereignty of God. This is Satan. He's rejected the sovereignty of God. Now he comes in, he's already fallen from his place, because you cannot resist the sovereignty of God without bringing destruction upon yourself. He had a period of time in which to repent, Satan did not repent, and the result is God cast him out of heaven, he tumbled down to the earth, and now we see him entering the Garden of Eden. Now, this Garden of Eden was an idyllic place. In it was no harm, no danger, and Satan could do no harm. He could not come in this Garden of Eden. He could not destroy the crops. He could not destroy the animals. He could not cause death. He could not cause pain. He could do not one thing as long as Adam, together with his wife Eve, remained knitted together, covenanted together under the sovereign hand of God. Now, as long as they did that and walked that way, Satan could come in and he could throw out a thing, but he could not do anything to them. They were obedient to God. And therefore, the hedge of God or the protection of God was completely around them, and Satan could do nothing to them at all. He could not harm them in any matter. Now he speaks to Eve, and he said, Eve, did not God say that you could partake of the trees of the garden, all of them? No. He said, there's a tree in the midst of the garden, a tree of knowledge of good and evil. We may not partake of it, nor touch it, for in the day that we do, we will die. Now notice Satan's attack on God's sovereignty. The attack will always be on God's sovereignty. Everything will be to get you to not do the will of God, to assert your will over God's will. Well, I know what this says, but here's what I've always wanted. Well, I know, but I believe that I have a right to. And we are asserting our will over God's will. So Satan comes, who the one who has already asserted his will over God's will and has fallen 
therefore into disfavor and destruction. He's passed out of that place of favor with God and can never get back there again because of the crime that he committed. Now he goes to Eve and said, you shall not surely die. Now notice, first of all, it says, not only is God not sovereign, this will come later, but God is also a liar. He told you you will die. Well, I wish to say something to you. You will not die. In other words, you can get away with this. See, you just go right ahead and sin, and you can get away with this. You do not have to do what God tells you to do. And furthermore, he will not bring death upon you or allow it to come. He's just not telling the truth at all. You will not surely die. But God knows that in the day that you partake of that fruit, your eyes will be open. And now here's the thing that he threw out, and this is the hook that has produced all of these distortions that we know in the world today. God knows that in the day you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, now, if you know both good and evil, in that sense, theoretically, you should be able to write your own laws. Well, I know what's good for me, and I know what's bad for me, and I know what's right for me, and I know what's wrong for me. So, he said, partake of that tree. Go ahead. You won't die. You'll be like God. And she said, well, the tree looks good. And so, of course, she partook of it. Her eyes were open. She went to her husband, gave to him. Now, the Bible says about Eve, says she was deceived. But Adam was not deceived. He fully understood, not the full nature, the extent of all that he would be doing, but he knew it was wrong. He knew the full extent of it. He knew that he was literally rejecting God's sovereignty, that he was taking on an authority that was not his by right. And the Bible said, yet he partook of the tree. And then the eyes of them both were open. The Bible says they knew they were naked. and They ran and hid themselves. And then they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden and were filled for the first time with F-E-A-R, fear, and the process of death had already begun to work in them. Now, if we can understand the rejection of the sovereignty of God is two things. Number one, it, number one, produces all sin. At the root of it is the rejection of the sovereignty of God. I know what is right, but here's what is right for me. Or I know what God's word says, but I know my reason tells me, and therefore for me this is the best thing. And so we reject God's right to extend himself over and say, this is correct, this is the way to walk, follow my path, follow my way. We reject that, and we go and do our own thing. Now, sin, at the very root of it, is always that one thing. It's the rejection of the sovereignty of God and the substitution of our own set of ideas about what is right and what is wrong. Adam came to the conclusion that for him, it was better to reject the sovereignty of God and attempt to be like God himself, the same thing that Satan was induced to do by his own wickedness. Attempt to be like God himself and start writing his own laws, take over this earth, and be the sovereign of it himself. And the result was his eyes were opened, suddenly filled with fear. They ran and hid themselves, and I say death, and all of his distortions entered the world. Now, if those distortions had not come, then there would be no poverty as we know it today. I'm saying there would be no overpopulation. See, the world today is filled. Some areas are desperately overpopulated. So it's just a matter of time until terrible famine will hit, till disease will hit, till all kinds of things. They do not understand about sanitation a proper way. And the next thing, the rampant diseases and pestilences are going through them and they're being destroyed right and left. Never would have been like that at all upon the face of the earth. There would be no poverty or there would be no oppression. There would be no human government as we know it today. There would be God's government. He came down every day and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden and instructed them and guided them and led them and taught them and ministered to them and worked with them and loved them and cared for them. There would not be human government as we know today. Human government was not known until after the flood. See, after the flood, man came out. Here are these distortions that brought about the destruction of nearly all of the earth. 
that is the known earth at that time, all the people on it except for Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, eight people in all, came out of that ark to begin repopulating the earth again. And when they did, God for the first time said, anyone who takes man's life by man shall his life be taken. And when he passed the authority into man's hands to take another's life because of murder or because of destruction of human life. Now notice again the breaking down of the sovereignty of God. When here is a person with a human life that God has given him. And here again, I am a human with a life that God has given me. And I make up my mind for whatever reason, outside a judicial process, which God has granted into man to be used in a proper way, justice, right way. But I look at this man, and this man has offended me, or he's done something I don't like, and I make up my mind, in spite of the fact that God has given me no authority to take his life, whatever, I assert my authority as sovereign, and I think I have the right to take his life. So I take his life. God says, if a man does that, then by man shall his life be taken away from him. See, and thus the basis for human government. When you give to man the power to take human life, you give him all the powers that derive from that, which is the power to govern and make laws in every area of life. Thus human government came. But the plan of God was never to have human government as we know it today. Now, nothing we can do to get rid of it now until Jesus comes back. But the plan of God was to have a theocracy where God would rule all men and women being without sin, who would have been able to relate directly to him, understand his will and his ways, walk in it in relationship to each other. And I tell you, if that were so, then no woman would have cast her seed. You would not find the disease that you see today. There would be no oppression. There would be no poverty. There would be none of the ills that we see today would exist upon this earth. But because of sin, the earth has become more and more distorted in its relationships to God, its relationships to each other, in relationships to every possible thing upon the face of the earth. The earth has been raped, it has been pillaged, it's been destroyed, it's been overrun, as man in his greedy desire for money and profits and power and whatever else he's striving for, he has ruthlessly destroyed the earth until today we're on the verge of nuclear holocaust, we're on the verge of a terrible war, we're on the verge of all kinds of terrible things going on the earth. Now, all of this happened as a result of the rejection by man. See, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The rejection of man of God's sovereign position. Now, what is God attempting to do in this world? Well, he has, through the second man, Adam, see, second man, he is bringing into this earth a brand new creation. Now, the new creation comes to being by the old man passing out of existence, by repentance, by surrender to God, Lord, I repent. And that's why you have to repent to be saved. You can't just get saved. Like, well, now I don't like going to hell. I read about that and I see, yeah, I believe in hell. And I don't want to go to hell. So, Lord, uh, save me, will you? You cannot get saved by simply wanting to get saved. There is a condition that precedes it. And the condition is repentance. In other words, Lord, I have rejected your sovereignty. I have written my own laws. I have walked in my own ways. I have done my own thing. I have violated your command. My values are wrong. My ideas are wrong. My directions are wrong. Now, Lord, I see that that is sin, and I repent of that way of walking. Please, Lord, and based on the fact that I've repented and that you sent Jesus so that I could be born again, so I could become a new person, I could be forgiven, Lord, for the reason that Jesus came and for the reason of my repentance, save me, O Lord, and bring me into eternal life. Now, when a man repents and places his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, now you have to understand what that faith is to be. That faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is once again, my faith is in you, Lord. Okay, now I'm a Christian. That is true. 
as far as a baby Christian. But that's not where God intends to lead us. God intends to bring us to the place where Jesus will not just be Savior, not just sort of like brought us to birth, but that Jesus will become Lord. See, and the word there is Lord, ruler of heaven and earth. So we come to Jesus Christ and say, you are not only my Savior, but you are my God, you are my Lord, and I will follow you all the days of your life. And what your values are will be my values. See, now let's go back now to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam, what his values were, were God's values. What his ideas of life were, were God's ideas of life. What his pattern of behavior was, was God's pattern of behavior. So he merely reflected, because he was the image and likeness of God, he reflected and carried out on this earth exactly what was being transmitted to him through the Holy Spirit, and he was simply walking in the ways of God on this earth. Now Eve following the same pattern until they sinned. Their children, had they followed the same pattern and expressed the life of God on this earth, there would have been no ecological destruction. There would have been no pollution of the earth. There would have been no ruin of mankind. All this is a result of doing it not God's way, not receiving instruction from God, but rather opening ourselves up either to our own ideas or Satan's ideas, both of which are totally destructive. See, that's why Jesus said to Peter when Peter said, No, you shall not go to the cross. This shall not be so to you, Lord. And Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. You savor of the things that be of men and not of God signifying that natural man and Satan think exactly the same way, contrary to the sovereign purposes of God. Now, what he has brought us back into, the possibility, through Jesus Christ, is coming back into this relationship to God where he truly becomes sovereign of every part of our life. And we say, Lord, you're sovereign over my body, you're sovereign over my mind, you're sovereign over my future, you're sovereign over my emotions, you're sovereign over my spirit, you're sovereign over the money that you've given me, you're sovereign over all possessions that are in my hand, you're sovereign over my family, you're sovereign over the church, you're sovereign over this world. See, our whole thought, once again, is we are submitted to God for his purposes to be carried out in this life. Now, that is a far cry from where most Christians are. Most Christians have a hidden agenda and sometimes a pretty open agenda of the things they want to do and they want to accomplish and they want to be. But you say, but have you heard from God? Is this what God wants you to do? Well, I don't know about that, but I know what I've always wanted to do. See, I've always wanted to be a fireman. I've always wanted to be a, a lawyer. I've always wanted to be an airplane pilot. I've always wanted to be a this. So I'm learning this. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to... But has God? Have you talked to God? Has he led you? Is he instructing you? Is he guiding you? Is he... See, that's a different concept altogether. Now the concept is, oh, Lord God, what did you bring me into this earth for? For what purpose am I here? Why have you called me? Why have you made me? Why have you brought me forth? Am I using my body in the way that I should? You see, sickness is a distortion of God's perfect idea. For instance, myself, when I'm doing what I should be doing, and see, I recognize in my life, not a full overcoming in every area of my life, and the area of the body is a particular one with me that has been a long time battle, and I pray that God will accomplish total victory, because my mind is set that he should be sovereign in it, but I've not exactly found the way to do it yet, but I'm learning better and better how to handle myself or how to let him handle me. But God has given me a good body, born with strong health and uh, just vigor and vitality and strength, but over the years, we don't give thought to the 
the emotions that rack our bodies and our minds and our spirits, and we allow those things, much like the spirit of hatred, can get on us, or not in us, but on us, we can get in us too if we're unsafe, but on us, and next thing we're filled with hatred toward people, or, or we're filled with negative uh, self-talk, you know, and, uh, oh, i just tell you something, I, uh, boy, I tell you, I just, uh, oh man, it's going to be another rotten day, I know it is, uh, look at that out there, oh boy, these things are always coming down on me, and man, I never win anything at all, and boy, I just tell you, things just go rotten for me, they've gone rotten all my life, and now they're, I the rest of them, oh, what, what an old age I'm going to have, I'll tell you, this Oh, yeah. See, we get all, oh, man, I'm all bummed out today. I'm all, well, what happened? I don't know. I just feel bummed out today. I'm really bummed out. I mean, I really, see, now we're allowing these things to work in our minds instead of like, if there be anything, see, think on these things. If there be any love, if there be any truth, if there be any joy, if there be any, see, think on these things. Fill your minds with the blessing of God. Fill your mind with the promises of God. Fill your mind with the word of God. Fill your mind with dreams and visions that God puts in your heart. But many times we're filled with the wrong kinds of dreams and visions and we're all trying to do our thing. Here's the sovereign saying, no, this is the way, follow me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, follow me. And instead of that, we're saying, well, Lord, I believe in you and all that and therefore I'm saved, but here's the way I'm going. So the next thing, we're off down this road here, and our lives are not going well. See, because we are not submitted to the sovereignty of God. Now, without that understanding, fundamental understanding, all of the promises of God are like of no effect. Now, I talk to you often about taking care of the poor. Next week, I'm going to be dealing with the subject of investing in the kingdom of God, but from the point of view of God's sovereignty. But I want to just kind of give a little hint of what I'm speaking about here. One of the distortions of this world is this terrible poverty which has come in the world. And God looks down on that, looks down with pain from Adam's sin on. And when Adam sinned, all of these distortions that come, and here's God saying, I don't want people poor. I don't want people sick. I don't want people lost. I don't want people hurting. I don't want families breaking up. I don't want children orphaned. I don't want... See, here's the thing that is in the heart of God. These distortions, he's looking at him saying, I want this brought into a state of balance. That's why he brought his son, that we can come into a relationship with him and help to bring these distortions at least into a better situation. Or at least we can take a few people out of the world and demonstrate God's goodness to them and see what can take place. I look at myself, and my natural tendency is because being self-centered type of individual without Christ in my heart, is I get out there and I work and I earn all I can earn, and the old saying, get all you can and can all you get. Now, that would be a typical mentality, the way I would think. I'm going to get out there, I'm going to use all my strength and all my ability, I'm, and the guy's saying, would you help me? Sorry, man. Every man's got to stand his own two feet and all that stuff, and uh, man, I'm out here getting all, so I'm gathering it all in like I can, like that. Now I get it all in. It's way more than I can use. I say, please get me cans, lots of cans, because I'm going to can all I've got. Now, is there an illustration like that in the Bible? Yes, the Bible said this rich man, his fields brought forth abundantly, and he said, I know what I will do. I will build bigger barns, and I will store all the things which I have made, and then I will say, soul, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You have much goods laid up for many days, and God says, thou fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then who will those things be which you have stored up? See, Solomon had the other thing. He said, this is vanity and vexation of spirit. He said, a man labors all of his life, and he builds up a great estate. And he says, how does he know what he will leave it to a fool when he departs this earth? Now, see, we don't have to do that. We can know what we're doing. But he didn't know, and he was tormented by this idea. I build this all up, and then I have to leave it? 
how do I know I'm going to leave somebody to blow the whole thing out and nothing's going to be left at all? What did I, and they said, what did I do all that hard work for? See, well, I think a lot of people have wondered about that. What did I do all of that for? But if you understand the purpose of God, that his plan is to make us managers in his kingdom, see, that he puts things in our hands. He gives me help for what purpose? Because he sees the lost that are in this world. And he says, son, I want you to stand up and I want you to go preach the gospel in all the world. And I want you to bring as many people to my son Jesus Christ as you possibly can. And if you do, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will bless you. I will walk with you. I will be with you. I will enlarge the states of your tent, the parameters of your tent and so forth. I will do all these things for you if you will enter in to helping me correct these distortions. Look over here at these poor people. Will you help me relieve their pain? I don't want them pained like that. If you do, I will put money in your hands. I will bless the work of your hands. Everything you touch it will begin to prosper because you care for those poor people. Look over here at these sick people. Will you pray for them? Will you heal them? Will you go to them? Will you attempt to... See, if any man or woman who enters into that sovereign relationship with God, where they abandon their ideas about what they want in life, and say, Lord, I only want what you want in life, and I want you to reveal your will to me, and I'm going to carry out your will upon this earth, then I want to tell you something. God will bless you abundantly in every direction. Now, you see, Job, I don't know if Job was a particularly smart man. As a matter of fact, some of the things that I see some of the people do in the Bible... I think when they acted by themselves, didn't show them being too smart at all. As a matter of fact, some of them acted just kind of funny, really. But when they were moving in the Spirit of God, see, when they understood a fundamental idea and they moved in it, they were greatly blessed. Now, let's take a look at Job here. I'm going to read chapter 1. I'm just going to read one verse out of it. Well, maybe two or three, but just very few. Satan comes... Verse 1, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. In other words, totally submitted to God. He was walking in that way. Then it tells all of his blessings. Now verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about in the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, for there is no one like him on the earth? Now, what was so unique about him, all right? A blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. That was the basis of his life. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Now, let me show you what happened here. God is looking for a man. And he's looking for not a man, men, women, just anyone who will hear him. But Job heard it. And Job said, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do the best I know how. Now, I don't know if Job was rich when he started out. I maybe didn't have two pennies he could rub together. I'm going to do the best I can to carry out your will on this earth the best I know how, O oh Lord. And we'll see a little bit how he did it later on. I'm going to turn away from evil. Whatever you say is evil, to me that's evil. I'm going to turn away from wrongdoing. I'm going to walk as blameless before you as I can. I'm going to carry out your will on this earth, O oh God. And then the Bible says, then God put a hedge around Job. See? And this devourer who would have loved to have gotten to Job and destroyed him completely could not touch him at all. And further on the inside of that hedge, I will begin to bless Job and he will prosper in everything that he does. Why? 
because he is going to use that prosperity to build up my kingdom. He's going to invest it in my kingdom. He's going to work to bring those distortions back into line. He's going to work to win as many people as he possibly can. He's going to manifest by example the life of godliness. And so that God was able to point him to Satan and the angels of the universe and say, look at Job, there is no man like him on the earth, one that loves God and hates evil, blameless, See, because he followed after and submitted to the sovereignty of God. Now, what was Job's secret? See, was it some massive, great secret thing that he did? Well, over here in Job, the 29th chapter, and I've read this before, but you have to understand it in relationship to how powerfully God moves to the man who will help him to correct these distortions. All right, now here he is. For when the ear heard, it called me blessed. Now why? When the ear heard, it called me blessed. When the eye saw, it gave witness to me, because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. See, here's Job saying, will someone help me take care of the poor? Will someone hear me? I will bless them if they will hear me. I will enlarge them. I will prosper them. I will greatly multiply them upon the earth if they will hear me. Job said, I hear you, Lord. I will do it. And I'm sure others heard it too. Same like an inner urging or an inner feeling. But some of them, oh man, I'm too busy to take care of the poor. I'll tell you what, give a little to the United Way. That's plenty good. And uh, But I've got so many things to do here and I'm building someday when I'm uh, 65 or 75 or 85. If I've got a great fortune, give, I'll leave a little bit of money to the poor. But right now, man, I've got so many things and I'm so busy. Job says, no, I'm going to go out of my way to take care of the poor. I'm going to go out of my way. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. Because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. I tell you something, I am so blessed that one of the marks of our South American and Central American ministries is orphanages. See, when I read this here, I said, oh, Lord, are we helping the orphans? Oh, Lord, are we helping the poor? Well, when I go down to Nicaragua and I go down to Guatemala and I work there and I see some of the poor, the very poor of the earth, and they're coming to those churches and are being blessed and helped. And here's elderly ladies and elderly men that can hardly walk in there, taking them to church and making sure they're hearing the word of God. And here's orphans that are going to grow up with no help and no hope at all. And they're putting them in a place and teaching them the word of God. Uh, down there, I looked at sick little children. One child had been almost like in a coma for three or four months and now was beginning to come out of it. And I think one day is going to be a healthy, fine child. Why? Because somebody cared to correct the distortions that were in the earth. And they went down there and they laid their life on the line to do it. And I tell you something, that's why this church, I pray that our missionary giving will increase by five times or 500%. So, and then one day when we get to 500%, I want to pray increase 500% more. See that we're able to give Say, Lord, we're a part of helping this correct these distortions that are upon the earth, O oh Lord. We want to see churches planted. We want to see the gospel go out. We want to see ministers raised. That's the idea of the school of evangelism. We want evangelists raised up. We want people in this city to hear the word of God. We want people to see not only in this city but throughout the earth to hear the word of God. That's why the school of ministries is starting, so we can train ministers to go plant churches and send them out with God's blessing to help correct the distortions that are upon this earth. I'm submitted to the sovereign position of God, and I want every one of you to be along with me because that's the secret of God's blessing when we become that see when we really enter into that then God draws a hedge of protection around us and begins to bless everything that our hands are put to and there's no limit to what he may do through you see now there's no secret of success 
The secret is just what Job did. I'm doing what you said, Lord. I take care of the poor. I take care of the orphan. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me. I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness. It clothed me. I was eyes to the blind, feet to the lame, a father to the needy. I brought justice to the oppressed. That's the secret of it. But most of us, Satan is right there. Man, think about yourself. And the things you have to do to be happy and make sure you keep your mind on your own and just uh, think about you and uh, don't think about others and you've got to keep, I mean, you've got to really work to make sense. God is saying, who will think with me about the oppressed of the earth? Who will think with me about the pain? Who will think with me about the loss? Who will think with me about those that my son died for? Who will think for me with this compassionate heart? Will you allow my compassion to come into you? You want a secret of success? The secret of success is to submit yourself to the sovereignty of God and let his attributes come into your life and then begin to act out on this life, the life that Jesus would have lived on this earth. The result will be the hedge of God will be put around everything that you do and will prosper at everything that you touch. See, that's why this is so fundamental to every kind of blessing. Now, to try and claim the promises of God without understanding this is a total prostitution of all of God's purposes. Lord, I'm believing you for prosperity. Lord, I'm believing you for a Cadillac. Lord, I'm believing you for a new house. Lord, I'm believing you for riches. Lord, I... for what purpose? Well, because I want to have the, and you know, the king's kids, and then we should have the blessing, and then there is no teaching like this in the Bible. But there is a teaching that God wants to multiply you mightily in everything you do. If your heart is set to carry out his will on this earth and bless all that you can to correct these distortions that exist upon the face of the earth. And if I've had any long-term success, and I have, thank God for it, I want to tell you what it is. I've made more dumb mistakes and more stupid blunders than I suppose most men on the face of this earth have made. But you know something? I somehow like fall in a mud puddle and come out smelling like a rose. And I think the reason is because my heart is set to do God's will on this earth. Lord, I want to do what you want me to do on this earth. And I'll tell you something, you can fall into a stinkhole and you'll rise up clean. You can fall into a fiery furnace, but the smell of fire will never pass to your garments. You'll walk out clean and powerful. That's God's plan. Now next week you come and I want to talk to you about investing in God's kingdom. I want to show you how to turn loose the blessing of God in your life. I mean, now the positive actions that you take, little actions, just like a pantograph. I don't know if you know what a pantograph is. A pantograph is a kind of a arrangement of levers and so forth that you make little moves here like a little picture and enlarges that picture greatly over here like this. Well, I want to tell you, God's plan is that you make little moves here like this in line with what he wants. And I tell you, it shakes the whole universe. See, just like Dave Sapansky had a desire say, Jim, this sermon has helped me that you preached on purpose and vision. I'd like to write it down and make a book out of it. Well, I want to tell you, thousands of lives have been changed by that little move. See, just write that down and make a book. Wasn't much of a book. I mean, as far as, you know, fancy covers, wasn't much of a book. Still isn't much of a book as far as fancy covers. But now it's reached all the way into China. It's being distributed over there. You understand that the day may come that I'll be gone from this earth. And Dave Sapansky will be gone from this earth. And you'll be gone from this earth. But that book could still be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the earth. See, a little move, tremendous results out here. I want that blessing on your